not to do. Uh, and so they were just seeing how far they could go. Uh, but see, a lot of times, uh, you know, uh, a lot of parents would just get mad uh, in, at their children for that. And that they would get into sin because the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Uh, and, you know, if you beat your kids when you're angry, uh, you're as much in sin as they are uh, because you've allowed your flesh to, to, uh, uh, to take advantage of that situation. Uh, we're not, this is not a parenting class, but, um, you know, uh, it, it's the same. It's in the realm of the spirit. It's really the same exact thing because the devil... Uh, he has no choice but to yield to the authority of the church. Now, he will, he will try to push it and see if he can get away with it. And, and, if, uh, and if you say something to him and he stands up and, and resists that uh, and then you back down, then he will win the fight. Uh, but if you will not back down, he, he has to yield to it. it, doesn't, it it's not that, well, you know, sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't. Uh, in the realm of the spirit, he will always yield. Uh, there is never an exception when he does not yield. Uh, he may not yield immediately. He may, he may try to push it as far as he can go. Remember, remember the, uh, the madman at Gadara? The Bible says that Jesus had been telling him to leave, and he hadn't left yet. I mean, even the Lord Jesus, uh, he tried to stand up against the Lord Jesus. Uh, but eventually, did he yield? He eventually yielded every single time. There was never a case in, in, in the Bible uh, when uh, the devil did not yield to a man of faith. Now, you remember the, the seven sons of Siva, you know, they, they tried it. Right, uh, uh, the, uh, Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Right, we 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 cast you out uh, by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And then, of course, the devil spoke up and said, "You know, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you?" So, if you're just repeating things that people say, that you're not standing in a, in a position of authority, you're standing in the position of a parrot, which there's no authority in parrots. Right? You never ever seen a parrot in, in the middle of a street, you know, trying to conduct traffic or anything. You know, nobody listens to that parrot. Now, even the parrots repeat things that people say. Nobody listens to it other than to make fun of it. But, uh, uh, and so, you know, there's no authority in a parrot, amen? There's no authority with, with those Jewish exorcists. Uh, and, and, and we don't do exorcism either, right? That's, that's for Hollywood, right? We cast the devils out. Uh, exorcism, you know, they use holy water and they crosses and, you know, they've got certain things they say in Latin. And, you know, the devil can understand English just fine, right? He doesn't have to be spoken in, in Latin. Uh, and, and, and regardless of what the words are, he he responds to the authority anyway, not to the specific words. And so, if you uh, if you use the name of Jesus, it's understood in all languages. Amen. Uh, and so, so you don't have to say Yeshua or try to be fancy and say some kind of Greek word or you know try to be you know uh, uh, smarter than the, than the devil because he'll just laugh at you. You know. Uh, and so, your authority resides in the name of Jesus. Uh, in the position that you hold as a child of the living God, not in how loud you speak, uh, not in how long you speak, not it's not in, you know, spitting cotton or not in doing any kind of uh, showmanship like Hollywood where somebody's got to throw up or, you know, do something crazy like that in order to, to show that you cast the devil out. Uh, no, you just t command the devil to leave and he has to leave. There's no exception. He has to leave. Now, now, we know that all sickness and disease is not caused by demonic presence. Sometimes Jesus spoke to, this, to the sickness itself, right? Remember one time it says he, he rebuked the fever when he was, when he was praying for Peter's mother-in-law. And, and, you know, it's, you know, in fact, I was meditating on that today, that, you know, fever is not a sickness in and of itself. Fever is a symptom of some other sickness, right? So there's something in you causing that fever. Uh, and so, um, you know, it, it's... You don't have to be super legalistic about it. 
if you rebuke the fever, then whatever the cause of that fever uh, is, is got to go away. Well, you got to make sure you, you speak to the thing, you know, and not to just the symptoms of the thing. No, Jesus spoke to the symptoms of the thing and whatever that thing was, it left her, didn't it? Um, and so sometimes we get so technical in our, in our faith that we, we, uh, uh, we get the Lord right out of, out of our understanding, amen? Uh, so basically what Jesus was saying when he reaped the fever, that this body has to straighten up and line up with the, the covenant of God. Uh, and so, you know, be careful about trying to be super legalistic about things, you know, and uh, I mean, how many times did Jesus... Uh, that he laid hands on them and that devils would leave them. He didn't cast the devil out of them, amen? Uh, sometimes just laying hands on people. Remember, Paul sent uh, handkerchiefs and aprons, right? Uh, prayer cloths to people uh, at a distance away from him. And it says that many were healed and, and uh, many evil spirits left them. Uh, so there was no specific casting out of the devils. There was no binding the devil or loosing the, uh, loosing, uh, the name of Jesus upon them. Uh, it was the prayer cloth, and it did the work, amen? So again, uh, in, in your process of learning how to um, uh, conduct healing for people around you, don't be legalistic and think it has to be done a certain way. Even if the Spirit of God reveals to you that the cause of that is a demonic presence, you've got to understand, everybody is not aware that, that, that there's a devil out there that we fight. And so if you just go up to somebody and say, I'm going to cast the devil out of you, they're thinking, I didn't know I was possessed, right? No, I mean, then they get in their mind and then they're in fear that they're possessed of the devil. Uh, and th that's the last thing they hear from you, right? And so they're not in faith. They're not going to be able to hook up with you because you've caused their mind to be so uh, afraid of what you've said. So you've you got to be careful. You know, even if you know that there's a demonic presence, you've got to, Lord, do you want me to cast the devil out or just lay hands on them? Because plenty of times laying on of hands was sufficient to, to remove the demonic uh, influence in their life uh, so again there's no law there's no legal well if there's a devil i got to cast it out if god showed me this devil i've got to cast it out but you know you've got to get uh, if the lord's shown you that you need to go on and get more uh, instructions from headquarters how do you want me to handle this lord do you want me to just lay hands on you, you want me to know with oil do you want me to use a prayer cloth do you want me to just speak to the devil or speak to the sickness uh, and you know you you just have to train yourself to go with the flow because uh uh, and I, I know over the years I've seen many ministers when they need to cast the devil out of somebody. It wasn't that person was possessed, but, they, but the sickness itself was caused by a demonic presence. And, and they sensed that they needed to cast the devil out. And so they would generally stop the service and say, L just make sure you understand. I'm not saying they're possessed of the devil. I'm saying that this sickness is caused by a demonic presence. And I'm going to cast this devil out of their physical body, not, you know, not in their spirits, which is what would happen if you're fully possessed that even your spirit is taken over uh, and so which then tells you that as a christian it's not it's technically not possible for you to be uh, fully possessed of the devil you can sure yield to it though can't you uh, and so uh, so the, the whole, whole point of it is you know your authority resides in what has been given to us uh, by the one who has the right and the privilege to uh, to construct the authority himself right so the lord god is the head of all things in the universe and if he chooses to, to establish an authority, then he has all rights and privilege to do that. And he chose to establish the name of Jesus as the highest authority in the earth and then grant the church access to that name to operate under the authority of the name of Jesus. Uh, and so in that, then we have a wide uh, range of ways that we can utilize that authority. So it's not narrow. We don't have to do it exactly the same way every time. Uh, uh, we, we yield to the Holy Ghost. Uh, 
And so the Lord's given us as a church that authority to operate uh, in the uh, manifestations of the spirit, but also in the, in the general faith of the church to uh, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's a general faith, right? Every Christian has the ability to operate in faith in the sense of they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So you don't need an additional, uh, an additional authority in that area or an addition, additional anointing that area. It's nice to have those things, uh, but it's not necessary. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and I say not necessary, it's not necessary unless it's necessary, right? If the Lord thinks it's necessary, then he'll grant that particular uh, gift and manifestation to be in operation because uh, the gifts and manifestation operations are helpful in the cases where there's low faith. Uh, as opposed to unbelief, right? So if you go into an area where their people are unchurched or untaught, you know, they may not have unbelief about healing, but they may not have any faith about healing. So in those cases, it's helpful to have an additional anointing that, that, that uh, fills in the gap of their lack of faith. Uh, and, and that's why one of the reasons why the Lord has granted the, the gifts and manifestations is because it's primarily for the unchurched, right? It's primarily for those outside the church who don't have the advantage of being taught the word of God. Uh, and so the, in the Lord's mercy, he's granted those gifts and manifestations so that we can go into the world and help the unchurched, help the, those that, that are, have no faith, uh, which again is different than the church who has unbelief, right? You go into a place with unbelief, you can't do anything. I mean, you, the, even the Lord Jesus couldn't do anything in the presence of unbelief, but he could do plenty of things in, in those who had no faith, who had no understanding uh, of the, the covenant of God and the blessings that the Lord had already provided his people. Uh, and so, you, and the nice thing about that is uh, the Lord has given us such many uh, and creative ways to obtain healing that, uh, that there's really no limits to us being able to obtain healing. Uh, what if I'm in doubt? Well, you know, the Lord, the Lord can work through some of that, right? Uh, it's really only when your heart gets hardened to... Uh, to your belief that God doesn't heal. And then you're kind of stuck until you choose to yield to God and, and, and soften up your heart. Uh, because if you say, I do not believe God heals, uh, and you're adamant about that in a sense of unbelief, then God would have to override your will in order for you to obtain healing. And generally speaking, he won't do that. Uh, if he sees that there's a crack, I mean, he may just find a, a tiny little crack in your unbelief and squeeze in through there and through mercy and provide it for you. You know, he can do that. And, and of course, he's always welcome to do that. Uh, but, uh, but generally speaking, if you, if you have got a hard heart towards healing, uh, and, and, uh, and a lot of people in the church do, right? A lot of people have loved ones they were close to, and they died of sickness and disease. And instead of uh, assigning blame where it belongs, which is with the devil, they'll assign blame to God as if it's God's fault that somebody obtained sickness and disease. And I think God should just be running around just, doing stuff for people without their permission. Uh, and, uh, and then they get mad at God because he doesn't do that. And, and, and um, I mean, uh, would you want somebody just uh, walking into your house and go, yeah, this is a mess, and start cleaning and dusting and vacuuming in your house? You know, not, you didn't ask them, you didn't invite them in, just they walk in and start doing things, fixing things. Yeah, the doorknob's a little loose, so I'm going to fix that doorknob. And, uh, uh, would you love it? <laughs> well, okay, but normal people wouldn't like that, right? But... Uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know I don't like being around when someone's cleaning the house. You know I like, I'm gonna be somewhere else. You know, uh, but um, but the Lord wouldn't do that. You know, uh, uh, in spite of some people who would be okay with that. You know, uh, 
But you know, uh, you know, you, because you where your heart's at, you'd be you'd welcome the Lord to come in anytime He wants to, right? But if you if you're saying I don't believe that, then you're telling the Lord, I, you know, I don't want you to come into my household. Uh, and so the Lord uh, is limited than what He can do for you. Remember that He marveled at their unbelief there in Nazareth, and He could there do no mighty works. Uh, and so it's amazing that we as human beings, created made out of dust and clay, have the capacity to hinder the move of God, right? In fact, remember other places in the, in the Bible. Uh, say, says uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, um, uh, what's the what's the phrase that? Uh, uh, well, well, we'll think about it here in a minute. But uh, uh, when you don't allow the Spirit of God to move, right? Uh, uh, well, yeah, Brother Hagen always called the short circuit uh, God. Uh, don't don't hinder the Holy Ghost. Uh, but there's a particular phrase that the New Testament uses. We'll we'll get that here in a minute. Uh, but um, but we have the capacity to hinder uh, the move of God as human beings, as created beings, you know. And God created the universe by his power, and yet we have the ability to stop the move of God. Uh, uh, Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God, uh, but there's still one more, you know. There's, uh, you keep on coming there, but there's still one more. Uh, and so, um, but, um, uh, and so, um, so we're here. In fact, we're just about to finish up um, Brother Bosworth's book here. So we're in the very last chapter that we're going to study in his book. And uh, we're talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh here and how that uh, we went through all the scriptures. We're not going to go back through them again, but we went through all the scriptures where that phrase is used. And if you think about it, when he said a thorn in the flesh, uh, so it wasn't really a physical thorn. It was, uh, I mean, it, you know, even if it was sickness, it wasn't a thorn, it was a sickness. So that means that the, that the phrase a thorn in the flesh is an idiom or an allegory or an example of something other than what it actually is, right? It's just a placeholder for what it actually is. So, uh, so if that's the case, and that is the case because it wasn't a physical thorn, because if it was a thorn, just pull it out, right? I mean, why can't you just pull a thorn out, right? I mean, that's why I think God invented tweezers. Uh, and so I was always the tweezer man growing up with the kids, you know, and uh, if they ever got a thorn, a thorn, you know, in a finger, then I was a tweezer man and... Um, you know, and of course, I've done that for a long time. I just, you know, take my own, take a pocket knife out and pull out, you know, thorns, no big deal, you know. And, and um, uh, but so uh, I remember one of the kids got a thorn in, and, and I started to take the thorn out and they started screaming bloody murder, not because of anything I'd done, but what I what they thought I was going to do. Right. They had to jam that in there or something. And uh, and uh, it was never nearly as bad as they thought it was going to be. And if you ever get a thorn in your finger, it always feels better after you take it out. You ever notice that? I mean, the pain immediately goes away. Uh, and, um, but the anticipation of what might happen just sent them through, you know, through the roof there. Uh, and so, but I was always the surgeon at our house. Uh, and um, I remember growing up, I stepped on a piece of glass uh, in barefoot, you know. And, and so, uh, I mean, I think it went up to my kneecap. And my mom took a you know, pair of tweezers and a needle nose or something, went all the way up to my kneecap, pulled that thing out. You know, I mean, uh, this is serious. You know, we, I mean, we didn't go to the doctor. If you were, unless you were dead, you didn't go to the doctor when I was growing up. Uh, and so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the proverbial you know, pulling out teeth with pliers. I, they did that to me one time. There's about three of them held me down. And my mom took pliers and jerked a tooth out, you know. And, uh, and I've got strong teeth when I, I had to get a root, root canal one time. And they said, well, it's going to be so much money to do a root canal. And I went to pay up after they did it. And they said, well, you know, you had four roots instead of three. So we're going to charge you a premium. You know, because we're, we, we charged you, we, we quoted you the three root price, but you had four roots in your teeth. So you got super strong teeth. And so we're going to, we're going to charge you more. It's like, well, that wasn't the deal. I thought it was by the job. You didn't say it was by the root. 
uh, and so so when uh, so she pulled out the the, the uh, four root tooth uh, growing up there with a pair of pliers there, uh, and so it sounds like something from the Three Stooges, though, doesn't it? You know, I mean, the people holding you down and pulling out, you know, and uh, I mean, it's just uh, that's the way you live, right? He's like, ah, throw some dirt on it, you'll be all right, you know, uh, and so <clears throat> it's amazing we all survived growing up, and so, uh, but. Uh, so the thorn in the flesh was never a sickness and disease, right? Uh, in all the places we read about the thorn in the flesh, it was, uh, uh, and so that was from the Old Testament. So was Paul Jewish? Was he, a, was he a Pharisee? Did he study the Word of God, the Old Testament? Did he study the stories from the Old Testament? You reckon he knew these stories from the Old Testament about the thorn in the flesh being people? Well, sure he did. So when he said this, this phrase, a thorn in the flesh, where did he get that from? He got that from the Old Testament. And so the context of it always was people. Then what the context did Paul mean it to be when he spoke this phrase here in the New Testament? It is clearly, I mean, I don't know how you could come to any other conclusion than it had to be talking about people because why would you use it in this context but then to completely change the, the, the meaning of that uh, sometime uh, uh, in another, uh, another use of that phrase? So, so there's really no... Uh, and there's no sickness mentioned in here. The only thing that's mentioned in here is a thorn in the flesh. So people have to extrapolate and say, well, he's talking about sickness. Well, based on what? Well, because of some other verses in, in the book of Galatians, it says that they would give their very eyes for me. So therefore he had sickness. Uh, and that's a really giant leap in logic. It, it really shows poor study habits of the word of God because uh, the, uh, you, when you just look at these phrases and these verses in Second Corinthians chapter 12, there's nothing in there that talks about uh, sickness other than he does talk about the thorn in the flesh, but that's never used in sickness. But later on, he does mention the word infirmities. But any, any simple study of the word of God shows that the word infirmity means weakness in general. And that could be weakness of the flesh uh, in the sense that you're weak in this area of temptation. Or it could be, it, it could be and has been used in the area of sickness and disease so it's not clear, right? So you have to do more studying. And, and that's really what a good student of the word does is, and that's what I do when I go look up at a word, I go see how is this word used in the Bible? And if it's used in multiple ways, just like the word sozo, right? We've talked about the word sozo, the Greek word sozo, which can be used for healing, but it also has been used for deliverance. It's also been used for salvation. And it's used in the Bible in all three of those cases. So the only way that you know... Uh, how that word is being utilized in that verse is to read the context of that verse. Is it talking about physical sickness? Well, then the word of sozo then is used in the context of uh, healing. If it's used in the context of deliverance, then that's what the word means in that context there. So there's no context here for infirmity. We don't know. So, so we have to broaden the, the study there to see, uh, well, then where is, is the phrase thorn in the flesh used? Uh, and then when you realize it's talking about people, then the word infirmity wouldn't be talking about sickness. It'd be talking about my lack of ability to, to, to uh, uh, hold my tongue when people are doing things to me or, or whatever the, the, the weakness is. You, you, ever, you ever known people that have the ability to just come up and say something to you and you just, you're just mad? And they hadn't done anything. They just said, you know, man, look at your hair. You know, somebody else could do that. No problem. But that person does it and it's really annoying to you, right? You ever had, you know, that for some reason that person could push all your buttons? Well, that's a weakness. That's an infirmity that you have about that person right there. That other people could say the same thing. Doesn't bother you a bit. But that person says it. You know, you start talking about their mama. You know, you, I mean, you know uh, so that's a, you ever had a weakness of the flesh? 
Uh, you ever had weakness that, you know, certain things can be said, doesn't bother you, but other things can be said, you know? I mean, some people, are going to see, you can say anything you want to you except for about their mama. Oh, you talk about my mama when you step outside, you know? I mean, so that's a weakness of the flesh, right? That's an infirmity that you have that, talking about your, you know, why is it never about their dad, right? You can say, your dad's a loser, you know? I mean, what, whatever, no problem. You don't say about mama. Oh, don't you say anything about my mama. Uh, so that's a weakness that you have, right? And I've always thought it's funny, you know, people just get so irate, you know, say something about their mama. It's like, you don't even know my mom. I mean, how, how would you know, right? Uh, but they get so, but it, it's kind of a trumped up thing. It's kind of a, you know, made up, well, I'm going to be mad because they said something about my mama. Uh, and and uh, uh, I remember, I mean, I was in ninth grade and, and somebody said something about my mom. I said, well, you know, my mom's dead, right? You know, and so, you know, they, they, then they kind of felt bad for saying something about my mama, you know. Uh, and so uh, I pulled that card out every now and then when it became useful. Uh, and so, so all of that, you know, uh, we, sh- we should be good students of the Word of God. Amen. We shouldn't be surface readers of the Word and go, well, that just means that. Uh, you know, some verses are clear and, 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 and obvious from the reading of the verse. Uh, and even, I mean, to me, this is still obvious because I already know that God doesn't put sickness and disease on me. Uh, and, uh, and besides that, uh, what was the source of this thorn in the flesh? A messenger of Satan, right? Is God in the habit of using Satan for his use? I mean, is he running out of angels or something? So if it's a messenger of Satan, that means it's, a, it's someone bringing a message uh, motivated by the devil to your life. That's what a messenger is, right? Somebody brings a message or a word for you, and the source of that word or message is from Satan. That's what it says, right? From Satan. So, uh, and notice he didn't say it was unsaved people. It could have been saved people, right? You ever had a Christian say something unkind to you? Uh, you're just like a messenger of Satan, right? You're, you're bringing words from the devil to my life, right? Uh, and so, uh, you should read, you should read uh, John Wesley, you know. People come to him all the time, say the, the worst unkind things to him. One, one woman said to him something to the effect that, you know, you're, you're a wine drinker and, and a glutton. Uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, obviously not from God, because if it was from God, you would have brought a more proper message uh, to me. <laughs> and so uh, he, he, was, uh, uh, he was not one to mince words uh, with uh, John Wesley there. And so, so this was not talking about sickness and disease. Amen? Amen. There's no way that any good student of the word of God would come to the conclusion of that. And so I just wanted to read, there's one more thing I wanted to bring out, and I think we mentioned it a little bit, but I just wanted to make sure that we're clear, and then we'll go on to a couple of other things here. Because he starts, uh, Brother Bosworth makes some good uh, cases, in that, you know, some, some, uh, uh, he makes a strong case about these not being uh, sickness and disease. But we're there in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. In chapter 11, Paul uh, gives us a, a, a resume of some of the things that he suffered. And he did this several times in, in his writings, uh, he mentions many times all the things that he suffered. And, and, he, and he never talks about sickness and disease. And so we're going to read this one in particular. He says in verse 23, Are they all ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, in labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. Of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one. So five times 40 is 200, is 200 right? Minus one uh, would be uh, 195, right? So 100, he received 195 stripes on his back. That's a lot, amen? Uh, that's quite a bit. Uh, Thrice was I beaten with rods. 
Once was I stoned. We remember reading that in, in, in Acts 14, right? Thrice I suffered shipwreck. And we knew of one of them, right? At the end of the book of Acts, but we didn't know about the other two. So three times he suffered shipwreck. You know, if he was a captain of a ship and Paul came on board, you'd be like, oh man, I mean, what's the chance that we're going to make it? You know, I don't know. Of course, if they were smart, you know, if you remember the story in the book of Acts, Paul said, hey, don't leave here. You know, it's not going to be good for you if you leave here. And of course, what they do? They left, right? And then, of course, it happened. And Paul said, I told you so. You know, so you're nothing wrong with I told you. Because Paul said, I told you so. I told you not to leave. But then the Lord had mercy on him. He said, but the Lord had mer- is going to have mercy. You're going to lose your ship, but nobody will die. So they could have kept their ship and nobody died if they listened to Paul. But they didn't listen to Paul, so they lost their ship, and, but nobody died. Uh, three times he suffered shipwreck, a night in the day. Um, uh, I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. So did Paul suffer? Remember what, what, what the Lord said. I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name. Uh, and the Lord said, there will be persecution that rises immediately for the word's sake. So what did Paul bring everywhere he went? He brought the word of God, right? So if, you, if you're a person of faith, if you're a person of the word of God, you will suffer persecution. It's just the way it is, right? Now, you may suffer persecution, but if you're a person of the word, you get the blessings of the word, right? You get healing and deliverance, protection and, and salvation. So there's blessings in following the word because people think, well, then don't follow the word. Well, then you get subject to sickness and disease and, and destruction and death and all the other things that come along with because the devil still hates you. If you're not a person of faith and you're a Christian, he still hates you. He still wants to, to do away with you. And, and he will if he can. Uh, and so all of these things Paul experienced, he said, in weariness and faithfulness and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness. So if you look up that word painfulness, of course, that's the English word there. But, you know, the Bible wasn't written in King James. It was written in Greek. If you look up the word painfulness, it means a hard and difficult labor, toil, travail, hardship and distress. So he's not talking about a pain as far as sickness and disease pain he's talking about the, the pain and agony of the things that he had to suffer in in the labor for the lord to bring the gospel to the world uh, and so uh, and i've never heard anybody actually use that particular verse to to say paul was sick and diseased so but again uh, it, it doesn't fall in line uh, if you look at all the other resume that paul talked about he never talks about sickness and disease and you would think if if it was if it was as bad as people say that it was, you remember the, the writings that the man wrote to Brother Bosworth that it was, a, that it was painful like a stake in your heart, right? That kind of pain, not just discomfort, but just beyond, uh, pain beyond measure, right? That's what he said, pain beyond measure. If it was that bad, you think he would have mentioned about how much he's suffering for the Lord because he's mentioned these other ones, right, uh, that, uh, that are pretty, pretty significant. You think if he was suffering for the Lord in sickness and disease, that this would be an appropriate time to talk about how painful it was and beyond measure pain in my eyes and and pus falling out of my eyes and which is kind of crazy because part of paul's ministry was the ministry of of healing uh and then that gets into um uh, uh some of the questions that brother bosworth in fact i think the section of the books called questions worth considering uh he said uh why would anyone want paul to pray for them uh, if he was that sick himself you know, I mean, uh, I mean, it'd be like somebody who's just just fighting mad all the time and say, you know, God can bring peace in your life where you're never mad again. Uh, so let me pray for you, you jerk. I mean, you know what, what you know, what I'm saying, uh, 
you know, follow God. He walks in love unless I hate you, you know, but I hate you. I'm not praying for you. Uh, I mean, that would be kind of in con- conflict with the message of the gospel, right? Uh, and yet Paul said, God's a healer. But, you know, he's got a major sickness and disease in his eyes. And, 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 of course, you think about if that was really happening where he had all this pus coming out of his eyes. And, you know, we know enough today to know, uh, okay, I mean, but we don't really know. Because remember, anybody ever had pink eye? And pink eye is contagious, right? Uh, and I don't even know how you get pink eye, but I've had pink eye, you know. I think it's from uh, the unwashed masses, you know, me growing up. You know, we didn't really, we didn't take baths that often. And, and I think that's some of the, I don't know, is that the source? Anybody know about pink eye? And, you know, any, uh, you ever had pink eye? It's, it's real painful, right? And you've never had it. Well, you've missed the joy of life then. Uh, and so uh, it's a bacterial, but it's contagious, right? Yeah. And so it's contagious. So you go up and rub somebody, you know, with your eye there. Uh, and so, uh, but just I mean, even with what we know now, how, su- how superstitious were people back then? And if you had that coming out of your eyes, you think they would have been willing to let you lay hands on them? Uh, you ain't touching me. No way. Because that's probably a devil, you know, uh, or some, you know, because of your third generation ago, you know, some, some generational curse. You know, who knows what they would have thought of? And would you have been willing as a person living in, in the first century of the world? Would you have been willing to let somebody like that lay hands on you and pray for you? Uh, I mean, there's no way that you'd, that you'd want that, right? Uh, and yet, didn't Paul pray for the entire island there at, at Malta where he had, had uh, landed? Uh, and so why would somebody do that, right? Uh, and so um, <clears throat> if it was that, if it was that um, obvious, then you know that the, the people would have been uh, superstitious about catching it, right? Because they thought there was ether in the air, you know, I mean, they had all kinds of you read the history of medicine, it's amazing what people thought, you know, that caused things. And uh, even though there was a real root cause, but it took them a long time to even know what a germ was, what bacteria was. Uh, and so, uh, but you remember uh, there in Acts 19, where, where Paul was, was preaching uh, at the, the man at Lystra, right? Uh, and it said that Paul, beholding him, uh, perceived that he had faith to be healed. Uh, and... Um, uh, you know, what would, what would cause him to, uh, what would cause that man to develop faith if Paul was, was uh, not deathly sick, but horribly sick with his pain, you know, uh, in his eyes? That that's, doesn't make any sense. And yet, was Paul used in the area of healing? Many times. Uh, and so, uh, with, with, uh, uh, with sickness and disease. Uh, and... Of course, he, he makes this one point, uh, and uh, I just want to make a comment about that. He, he makes a point about that Paul was executing signs and wonders, including healing, because he mentions that a couple of different times in, in his writings that uh, the Lord used him uh, through mighty signs and wonders. And if he was doing that uh, for healing for all those around him, uh, but he couldn't obtain healing for himself. So I just want to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt that, uh, you know, Paul operated primarily in the gifts of healings, right? The special anointing, because remember what the Bible says in, in Acts 19, how God used uh, Paul, uh, who, who did special miracles by the hands of Paul, right? God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So, I mean, a, a miracle is special by itself, but then you got special miracles, which implies that he was doing miracles by uh, the anointing of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? With, with the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. Uh, and so, is it, is, it, uh, is it possible for a person to be used of God to heal the sick, yet be sick themselves? 
Uh, it is, right? In fact, uh, I think we can go back in the Old Testament and look at an example there uh, in um, Second Kings. I know, I know we know this story here, but in Second Kings uh, chapter 13, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings. <clears throat> and so this is the story of our friend Elisha, right? You remember Elisha, what did he pray for when Elijah was going home? He prayed for a double portion. A double portion of what? Of the anointing, right? Or the manifest presence of God in operation. Now, I know we, these weren't Christians, but the manifest presence of God is still the manifest presence of God in the Old Testament. It's the same thing in the New Testament, right? There wasn't a new, a new Holy Ghost that showed up in the New Testament, right? So whenever God used people in the manifest presence, it's the anointing of God. Uh, and it's the same anointing that we have in the New Testament as it was there in the Old Testament. So... The difference is uh, that we have the power of God in us as Christians, uh, but this is the power of God that would come upon them, right? So the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon them, but in the New Testament, the Spirit of God lives in us. So there is a difference there, but, but even though the Spirit of God lives in us in the New Testament, the Spirit of God can still come upon us in the New Testament because he, he said, uh, Jesus said that in the book of Acts, right? Acts 1.8, right? Uh, Tear you yourself until the power of God comes upon you. Uh, and so... So, there, uh, and that's a long, another whole teaching there about the, the power of God in you and the power of God upon you. Uh, but but uh, if it's the special anointings of God, uh, like the gifts of healings, that's the power of God upon you, right? The Spirit of God comes upon you to execute an anointing or to present the Spirit of God for the value of somebody else. Uh, and so here uh, you've got Elisha, and it says in verse 14, now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. So did he die? Well, it says he died, right? Uh, and so it says in verse 20, and Elisha died. So whatever sickness it was, it doesn't tell us what it was, but whatever sickness it was, it caused Elisha's life to come to an end. Apparently early, right? Because it, it was sickness and disease. And they buried him and the hands of the Moabites invaded the land at the coming of the year. And it says in verse 21, and it came to pass as they were burying a man that behold, they spied a, a band of men and they cast the man into the sepulcher of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he did what? He revived and stood up on his feet. So here is a man, a minister of God, who uh, had a strong enough anointing upon his, uh, upon his life, right? And anointing is carried by your, by your physical body. But he had a strong enough anointing of God, the presence of God, the manifest presence of the Spirit of God upon his life, that even after he died, that there was still enough uh, residual presence of God that when a dead body came in contact with that physical body, that it was revived. That's pretty, uh, uh, as far as we know, it was months uh, later. We don't know, it just at the coming of the year. So uh, it could have been months uh, that uh, Elisha's body had been laying in this tomb. And maybe as, as much as a year uh, from the time that he died and was buried. Uh, and so, uh, but, but that manifest presence of God, still the same Holy Ghost as we have in the New Testament, right? Not a different Holy Ghost, same Holy Ghost. But that Holy Ghost that was upon uh, the body of Elisha was enough to, to re rebuke death upon this man when he came in contact because it's the law of contact and transmission just like we have in the New Testament. Law of contact and transmission, he contacted Elisha's body and it, and it rebuked death in his body and it caused him to revive again. 
that's from the same man who died of sickness and disease. So, uh, you know, you have to be, uh, uh, I just wanted to make sure that we take this statement about, uh, about Brother Bosworth that, that how can a man who preaches healing and heals other people also be sick himself? I've seen that many times in, in ministries uh, where they have a great strong anointing, but they don't uh, obtain healing for themselves. And why is that? Well, especially in the New Testament, it's slightly different because in the New Testament, we are, and, and, and really Elisha could have done the same thing because he lived in the Old Testament. What does Exodus fifteen twenty six say? That I am the what? The Lord that healeth thee. So did Elisha have access to the covenant healing of God, covenant healing power of God as Jehovah Rapha? Elisha did, right? So could have Elisha had faith uh, for his healing that if God said, I am the Lord to heal thee, could Elisha have faith for the healing? He could have, right? He had the same scripture. Don't we have the same scripture available to us today? We do, right? So, but you've got to understand the distinction between the spirit that's upon your life versus the spirit that's within your life. So the spirit that's upon you is there primarily for ministry to others, right? That, 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 that out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that's to help the masses, right? That's to help the people around you. That's pri- not, uh, not primarily for you. Could you take advantage of it? Well, you probably could, you know, if you had faith in it, just like the people have faith in the anointing of God. Uh, but, uh, but generally speaking, the Christian and even the Jewish person here can have and should have faith in the, in the covenant of God for healing without the need for the anointing. Uh, so we have the advantage as Christians that we can always develop faith for healing without having to have the anointing for healing. Uh, and so we don't need to have the manifest presence. Of, now, we like the manifest presence of God. We love the manifest presence of God. Nothing wrong with having the manifest presence of God. But it's not necessary for us to have just simple faith in the word of God. Amen. That we can have faith in the word of God. Uh, and, and, and that's sufficient. Right. So, uh, you know, you know, there there was uh, uh, with Brother Hagen. There, there's maybe, maybe a couple of stories in there. But one of the things the Lord had told him in, in one of the early visions that Brother Hagen had, uh, the Lord said that the, he said that the Lord placed the finger of his right hand in the palm of each one of his hands. He said, I've anointed you and called you uh, with a special healing anointing. And he said, he said, uh, you tell the people that I told you that I've given you a special anointing. Uh, and, and so why did the Lord tell, tell him to tell the people? So the people would have faith in the anointing power of God, the anointing that was upon Brother Hagin's life. The people had to have faith in that anointing, right? Not in, not in faith in Brother Hagin, but in faith in the anointing. He said, if they would believe it, then when you lay hands on them, they'll receive it and they'll be healed. And so the Lord specifically told Brother Hagin they need to have faith in the anointing of God, right? So we don't have faith in people. People can't do anything. But uh, the Lord instructed them, you tell the people, amen, so that they would have developed their faith in the anointing of God. Uh, but there was another time when, when Brother Hagin was actually sick, and it was pretty rare, uh, that uh, the Lord said, you know, I, I've told you, and he told them the same thing that he told them in the first vision, that, you know, I placed the finger of my right hand upon each one of your hands to anoint you and called you before the foundation of the world uh, to, to uh, conduct healing. And he said, lay your own hands on your own chest. Uh, and he was having problems with his heart at that particular time. Uh, and so he did take advantage of that healing, anointing uh, that was upon his life. Most of the time in his life, he just ex- exercised general faith for healing from the word of God. But in that specific case, the Lord allowed him to take advantage of the healing anointing that was upon his life to affect the healing and the cure. 
So that, that's not unusual. It's not, it's not impossible to do. But generally speaking, uh, the anointing is for other people and your faith is for you. The vast majority of times that Brother Hagin was healed in his life from the time he was born again to the time he passed was from his own simple faith. Uh, and on a rare occasion, he would take advantage of the anointing that was upon his life for healing. So Elisha could have done that, taken advantage of the anointing of God that was upon his life for healing, because obviously, I mean, he could he raise the dead, right? So if he could raise the dead, surely he could cure a toe, toe ache, you know, or headache or whatever, the sickness that, that was upon his life. Uh, and so, uh, so, you know, you've got to be a little careful of saying, well, you know, they're anointing, uh, they're anointed of God. Uh, and so because they're anointed of God, they should stay healed. But in, but in general, from, from what we read, in the, if you look at the whole counsel of God, that that's not exactly uh, the most accurate way that I would say it, right? Because as Christians, we all can have faith in healing. Regardless, if, they, if we never sense the manifest presence of God, all of us can live in divine health just by believing that, that by his stripes you were healed. Do you need a, a manifest presence of God to believe that verse? No, the verse is sufficient. The faith of the verse is sufficient to, to obtain healing any time. But is it nice in, 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 the, in the case where, you know, Lord, I've tried to get healing on my own. I just can't seem to get it. It's nice if there's somebody who's anointed to pray for the sick. And, and then their, their, uh, their anointing that's upon their life can help kind of get you over the line, right? Uh, help you get across the line, so to speak. Uh, and that's really the mercy of God, right? Because it's not anything that you have to have faith in just as long as you don't have doubt and unbelief about it. So, uh, so uh, all that to be said, uh, number one, don't ever judge somebody, you know, that, that's uh, that, that way, right? That don't ever judge somebody that uh, uh, believes in healing and does get sick, right? Because if you want to find the quickest way to get sick yourself is you start judging people, right? Remember what... what uh, Paul said in Galatians 6.1, if you find your brother in a fault, you which are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, look to yourself, lest you also be what? Tempted, right? And, and one of the quickest ways to fall under the same uh, difficulties that somebody else has fallen under is judge them. Well, I can't believe they're doing that. And then the next day, he's like, I can't believe I just did that. You know, I can't believe they're sick, you know. Uh, you remember when we had, we, we, you know, and, and we may get another one up here eventually, but we had a banner up here about the healing school, right? Somebody got mad at that banner and they put it on Facebook, you know, well, you know, uh, why don't they go to the hospital and, and, and um, uh, empty out the hospital? Well, has the Lord ever told us to go to the hospital and empty out the hospital? Do we know if they have faith, anybody at the, I mean, we don't know if they got faith over there. Uh, and besides that, you know, the Lord probably tell us to go over there when that person gets in the hospital, right? Uh, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put a hex on them. I'm throw, you know, I'm going to curse them, right? I'm not putting a hex on them, but they will open themselves up to the devil by judging people like that, right? Because if the Lord, didn't Jesus go to the pool at Bethesda? How many people did he heal there? A single man, right? And yet, who was at the pool of Bethesda? Who was the only people at the pool of Bethesda? Sick people, right? And Jesus walked past a hundred sick people and got to the one guy and only prayed for that one guy and then left. Now, all the other people, if they were smart, said, hey, can we get some of that? Anybody else who would have said, hey, can we get some of that? Would have got that. How many said, can we get some of that? Nobody. That means there's a lot of slow people at the pool of Bethesda, right? Uh, and so, so were there times when Jesus didn't, didn't go out of his way to heal everybody? There were times. But, but of all the people that came to Jesus, how many left healed? Every single one, right? Uh, but the, but uh, you remember in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, right? Where the man was, was laid at the gate beautiful. 
And he said, they laid him how often? Daily, right? Daily. So, so the man was sick from, from his uh, mother's womb, couldn't walk. He's laid at the gate beautiful, at the temple. How many times do you reckon Jesus passed by him? I mean, if he'd been there for 38 years, that was, it only been about 50 days from the time that Jesus was resurrected, right? So you know that Jesus had to pass this guy. And yet the, the man never said, Jesus, would you heal me? Never once. Now, he asked alms of uh, Peter and John, but didn't ask for healing from Peter and John. He could have. I mean, didn't Jesus heal people in, in the temple? He healed people in the temple. The guy's at the gate, beautiful. Uh, you know, he had to hear about it. You know, it wasn't like a quiet thing. Like, you know, like a heal. You know, the people that leaping and jumping for, for joy, right? You know, he had to hear those testimonies. And yet he never asked for healing. He could have, never did. And so he never received healing. Everybody that, re- that came to Jesus received healing. Uh, but that doesn't mean Jesus healed everybody in, in the, the nation of Israel, did he? But every single person that came to Jesus uh, was healed. Uh, and so, so we had mentioned about, um, uh, about, uh, uh, about the glory of, you know, how many people say, well, this, is, this sickness is for the glory of God, right? You ever hear people say stuff like that? Dumb things like that? The, how, how, how is God getting glory? Usually, the, the, the way they say it is, because I'm going to be pious and show how patient I am. The patience of Job. You know, I always love the patience of Job, which is an easy one, right? I mean, we could spend all day talking about the patience of Job, right? Uh, why was Job sick? What did he say in, Acts chapter, in Job chapter 3? That which I greatly feared has what? Come upon me. So why was he sick? Fear, right? It, w- w- did God put it on him? No, in fact, uh, if you read the story, if you read the actual words... Uh, when, when Satan came to God uh, at his throne, and notice that doesn't happen in the New Testament anymore, right? Once the blood of Jesus came, cleaned everything up, there's no more going to the temple or to the throne of God with the devil, but that's, that's another whole long discussion. Uh, uh, what did God say? Did he say, behold, I put him in your hands? He, he said, behold, he is in your hands. Why, why was Job in the hands of the devil? Because Job said, I greatly fear. I fear sickness. He said, that which I fear has come upon me. So everything that happened to him, he was afraid. I'm afraid of losing my kids. I'm afraid of losing my money. I'm afraid of losing my wealth. And what did he lose? His, his kids, his wealth, and, and his health, right? He lost everything because everything, he was, afi- he was afraid of losing it all. So what was he doing? Every time he was afraid, the doors opened up to the devil. Now, the devil's not really bright, you know. I mean, he's been around a long time, but, but uh, you know, he just saw the hedge around uh, Job in general, and thought there's no way in. Uh, and, and the Lord did say, the Lord gave him the revelation that he's in your hand, but he would have figured out it eventually. Because, you know, he, he, he may be slow, but he, he's patient, right? The devil will, let, will sit, sit around somebody for decades trying to get through their hedge. And so Job had had a chink in his armor somewhere. At least three of them, right? One for his health, one for his wealth, and one for his family. And so three little gaps in the whole hedge, right? Because the, the Bible says he put, the Lord put a hedge around Job. And the Lord always puts a hedge around his people. But if you've got a hedge trimmer, the Lord can't do anything about that. And, you know, Paul, uh, uh, Job had a hedge trimmer. So uh, Job, he brought it up on himself. So there's no patience of Job. People say things like that, you know. And besides that, how long was the whole story of Job from beginning to end? About nine months, right? About nine months. You know, I don't know. But if you read, he talks about this, this event, that event. You can piece it together. People that are smarter than me figure all that out. And they say it was about nine months from beginning to end. How many times have people been suffering under Job's experience for decades? 50 years, like, well, you should at least have the faith of Job. I mean, you've you got the patience of Job. Why don't you get the faith of Job? It lasted nine, 
and what did Job do to change course? What did he do at the end of the book of Job? It says he repented, right? He repented. It's like, oh. So people say they've got the pace of Job. You know, if you would just repent, you'd get everything back. And not just get everything back, you get seven times as much. So, uh, and so people say that, uh, where have you sinned? I haven't sinned, I'm like Job. Job sinned, right? Because any need to repent if you hadn't sinned? Seemed like don't need to repent if you hadn't sinned. So what did he sin? How did he sin? He got in fear. Fear is sin, right? Fear is not, not uh, fear is worry. Fear is, is outside of faith. And the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. So, you know, it's, 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 such, a, uh, it's such a lame thing to say, I'm sick for the glory of God. Amen. Because did God say that our job in here is to sit in a chair and to give him glory? No. In fact, uh, if, if you go over to 2 Corinthians, uh, we'll find out how we're supposed to give God glory, right? Pretty simple, right? Uh, I mean, let's find out what the Bible says. So the Bible says, 2 Corinthians, we know this verse, 120. But it's good to make sure that, you know, uh, that it really does say that. So you read it yourself, right? And so it says here in 2 Corinthians 120, it says, for all the promises of God. So how many of the promises? All the promises of God are in him what? So if you read a promise and you ask yourself, does this promise belong to me? What's always the answer? The answer is yes. So is healing a promise? Well, he said, by his stripes, you were what? Healed. So that's a promise. So does that belong to you? It does, right? Is sickness and disease a promise? No, it's not a promise. That's a curse, but it's not a promise, right? It's a result of a lack of faith, right? It's a result of disobedience. In, so it's not a promise. In fact, it's a curse. Haven't we been redeemed from the curse? Well, Galatians 3.13 said we've been re- redeemed from the curse. So even though that is a curse in the Old Testament, does that even apply to the church? doesn't apply to the church because if we've been redeemed as the church, we've been redeemed from the curse. So, so that's not even a promise that's, uh, that's effective today. That promise, it's not a promise, but if some people are, well, it's, it's a promise, you know. It's not a promise because it's no longer in effect, Right? So when he says all the promises, all the promises that are still in effect, amen, were any of the blessings of the Lord, were we, were we redeemed from any of the blessings of the Lord from the Old Testament uh, by the work of the Lord Jesus? In other words, did he make all the Old Testament blessings no longer effective in the New Testament? No, there's nothing that says we've been redeemed from the blessings of the law. The Bible says we've been redeemed from what? The curse. So if it's a curse, doesn't apply. If it's a blessing, still applies, right? Because we are still under the covenant uh, Abraham in the sense of uh, we are children of Abraham, right? If if, if we're children of Abraham, then we have access to the blessings of Abraham. Uh, And that, in fact, that's what Galatians 3.14 says, that the blessings of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles. Uh, And so, so it says all the promises of God, so so we know what those promises are, right? So if someone says something dumb like, well, that includes sickness and disease, that's not a problem. There's no promise that's applicable to us today as a church for sickness and disease. Uh, but all the promises of God are in him, yes. And in him, amen. In other words, so be it. Unto what? The glory of God. What's those last two words? By us. So the way we give glory to God is by receiving the promises of God and showing the effect of those promises in our life. And that brings glory to God. So if somebody is sick and diseased, is that what this is applying to? Is that, does that verse apply to that? No, then there's no way they're giving glory to God. Now, people will say that, well, you know, I was sick and diseased. I understand, you know, in the midst of sickness and disease, you can still have a good attitude, but God is not using that sickness for his glory. 
Right? You, may, you may still uh, give God glory, especially if you're believing God for, for, um, for healing, right? And recovery from the sickness and disease. But you're not giving God the glory because of the sickness and disease. Uh, and yet the people who, who say these things is they think that the sickness is there so that they can give God glory. That, that's never the case. Because that would imply that God's will and desires for you to have the sickness so, the, so that he could obtain glory. And yet that's not, is that what this verse says? No, that's, if we want to give glory to God, uh, then we give glory to God by obtaining uh, his promises in our life, one of which is the healing power of God. Uh, and so, so uh, but if, if they're doing that, um, then, it, I mean, the whole, the whole logic doesn't make any sense to me, right? If God puts sickness on, sickness on you to give him glory, then what's the first thing all sick people do? They go to the doctor, right? And what's their goal? To get out of the sickness and disease. So if God put that on them to give him glory, then they're in direct rebellion of the will of God. Then, I mean, isn't that right? I mean, if they're saying that God put this on me to give him glory and they're at their doctor's office, then they're in rebellion. And my Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So now they're sick and a witch, right? Uh, so you just call, hey, you're a witch, right? You know, I would probably encourage you not to say that. But, uh, but does, does, that, does that logic even make any sense? I'm sick for God's glory, but I'm going to try and get out of the sickness so that I don't feel so bad, right? But see, what's the, what's the, only, intention, what's the only purpose of the church? What's the only reason why we're on this earth right now? To, to win the loss, right? What did Jesus say in, in Mark 16? Go where? All the world and preach the gospel, right? That's our only responsibility. The, the, the physical church here is, to, is intended to train all of us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. If you are incapable of moving because of your sickness and disease for the glory of God, then are you able to do the only thing you've been commissioned to do, which is to preach the gospel to the world, right? If you can't do that, then are you able to be in the will of God? You're, you're, you know, now listen, if, if it's, I'm not saying that everybody that's sick is, is rebellious. I'm just talking about the people that believe that God has made them sick so that they can give God glory. Then they're in rebellion to the Great Commission because they can't do the Great Commission and yet they say they're giving God glory. And the only way to give God glory is to go and preach the gospel and show people the promises you've received. Uh, to me, that makes, that's a lot more, makes a lot more sense than I'm sick for the glory of God. And, we, and we, we're not going to do it, but we've, we've gone through this many times about how we went through everywhere that somebody gave God glory in the New Testament. It was always at the reception of healing. It was never, Jesus, I'm sick. I just want to give God glory. Nobody was giving God glory until after they received uh, healing. And so we should use the example that the, that the primary way that we give God glory in the, in the times of sickness is to obtain healing. That's the best way to give God glory to show how good and wonderful he is to grant us healing. Uh, there's no glory to God in the sickness and disease because what you're saying to the world is, hey, be like me. Be sick like me and God, give God glory. Who, who would take that deal? Would any rational person say, I want to give glory, you know, I'm a heathen and I see that you're sick. I'm going to be like you so that, so that I can give God glory. Nobody's going to take that deal. But if they're sick and God heals them, how many people in the world want to, want to do that? You mean I can get healed? Yeah, right now. Really? Yeah. Uh, any strings attached? Nope. God loves you. They'd all take that deal, wouldn't they? Amen. 
Uh, and so, uh, so uh, well, we're about out of time here. Um, well, we'll just, we'll just mention one, one last thing here, and we've got a couple more things we'll talk about before we go. But um, I, I, thought, I, thought that, uh, um, I thought he made a good point here, but Paul had received his thorn in the flesh through the abundance of revelation, which is what he said, uh, that it, lest he be exalted above measure. Uh, and so uh, are, are there sick people today? Um, uh, the, you know, he said that if, if now we're, we're saying that, that, this, that the thorn in the flesh was sickness, according to some people, right? So, but the reason he got the thorn in the flesh was because of his great uh, uh, revelation that he had. So does that mean that the people today that are giving God glory, do they have the same level of revelation that Paul had? Because uh, that's kind of what they're saying, right? That God gave him a thorn of flesh because of the revelation. That's the, that's the source and the cause of the sickness and disease because he had such great revelation. But didn't Peter have revelation? Didn't John, the apostle John, have revelation? James, right? Mark, Matthew, uh, Luke. Didn't they all have revelation? They all wrote the word of God, right? Jude. Uh, then they all have, they all had revelation. They had to have the revelation to write the words that God spoke to them, Right? And yet, how many of the other apostles or writers of the New Testament had a thorn in the flesh? Only Paul, right? No, we hear nothing about Peter getting a thorn in the flesh or James or Jude or, or anybody else. It was only Paul because of the level of the, the revelation that he had. And, and his revelation really was greater than, than everybody else's revelation, really combined because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, and so, so you're telling me that you're sitting in bed and you've got as much revelation as Paul because that's the only conclusion you had to. If you've got a thorn in the flesh like Paul, then you have to have the same root cause of getting that thorn in the flesh, which was Paul's great revelation. And it was such an extent that the devil had to, uh, to stop him from, from delivering that revelation. But really, in their mind, it's God is doing that to check his revelation, make sure he doesn't get in pride. So you've got a, you, you're in danger of being prideful because of your great revelation. Tell me what you know. You know, what, what do you have? Because I need to know before you die. Because uh, if you die, it's gone, right? And so yeah, I've got to find out. What, is that true? You don't, you, do you know anybody that has the same revelation as Paul? Same level of revelation? I mean, number one, nobody's writing any new Bibles today, right? So really, there's nobody alive today and will never be alive today that has that, alive that will have as much revelation as Paul had because he was, he was one of the uh, original writers of the, of the Bible. There are no new writers of the Bible today. So all of us have got secondary revelation, revelation based upon his revelation. Nobody has more revelation than Paul. So none of it makes any sense, right? If you're saying that you've got the, a thorn in the flesh like Paul, then you're saying you've got equivalent revelation as Paul. Not a Peter. You know, Peter, had, he wrote two books of the Bible, right? So that's pretty good. That's two more than I wrote. But Peter never had enough revelation to, to, uh, uh, to get, uh, to get uh, the thorn in the flesh. I mean, John, the Apostle John, right? Uh, you know, he wrote, uh, he wrote one, two, three, four. He wrote five books of the Bible, right? I mean, he wrote first, second, and third John, and so he just wanted to, he, just, he was trying to write small books to get his numbers up there, right? You know, he didn't write long books like Paul, you know, he just write, you know, that, that's close enough, that's a book, right? You know, so I don't know if there was competition between him and Paul or what, but, but did John the, the, the John the Apostle, did he have a thorn in the flesh? Pretty good revelation. In fact, he had a book called The Revelation, right? I mean, you know, you've got to have pretty, pretty uh, high standards for yourself if you call your own book the, the Revelation, right? Uh, and, and so, I, I know he didn't call it that, but that's what we called it. Uh, and so, did John have, have a thorn in the flesh? No. I mean, he lived, in fact, he lived a long time, longest lived of all the apostles. So, so 
um, it's just there's so many ways that you can disband the theory that Paul's thorn in the flesh was sickness and disease. And then when people use that as an excuse for their own sickness and disease, well, just like Paul, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. I, we're we're going to have thorns in the flesh too, just like Paul. Well, none of us will be, ever be qualified to get the thorn in the flesh for the same reason that Paul got it, right? Uh, and so, so it just doesn't make any sense, right? Uh, and so uh, we'll, we'll finish up there. We'll, we'll, we'll come back next week and um, we'll look at the, the rest of this chapter here, there. So, um, but hopefully at the end of this chapter, we have such a, found, a, a sure foundation of that the, that the doctrine that Paul's thrown in the flesh was sickness and disease uh, would just be like, there's no way. And just start asking them questions, you know, just, you know, well, well where is the thorn of the flesh referenced anywhere else in the Bible, right? Uh, where did Paul mention his sickness anywhere else in the list of things that he suffered? Uh, and um, uh, who, would, who would allow somebody to lay hands on them if they're just dripping with nastiness coming out of their eyes? You know, you ain't touching me, you know, go wash that thing before you, you know. Uh, there's no way that people would let that, especially back in that day, right? And people were super uh, suspicious about things, right? Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the blessings of heaven. We thank you, Father, that uh, it is true that you are the healer. And you're still the healer, Father. And your spirit lives on the inside of us, Father. Eternal life, everlasting life lives on the inside of us, Father. And it will affect the healing and cure by our faith in your presence, in your spirit. So, Father, we choose to believe that we are the healed of God. We live in divine health all the days of our lives. And Father, we thank you for that. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So praise God. Is the Lord good? Uh, he is good. Amen. Uh, and so let's get ready and receive uh, this afternoon's offering. And so uh, we will finish. We're getting close. You know, we will finish this book up eventually, right? Uh, and so um, I got no promises of when we'll get it done, though, right? Uh, and so um, come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. And... Um, I was just trying to find something else here. Um, oh, do not quench the spirit. That's what I was trying to trying to. That was the yeah. You were a little bit late there, you know, but we got it right. I told you we'd get it. We got it right. Don't quench the spirit. Uh, and so I waited all the whole service for you guys. None of you came up with it, you know. Chris did, but she's. You got any evidence for that? You, you, see, you wrote it. Uh, yeah, she says she did. Oh, you erased it. Okay, it was there. She says right. Yeah, we believe it. Right. Uh, and so uh, it was quenched. That was it. It was quenched. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, she would have quenched. It was quenched the spirit. Like, we're six miles past that right now, you know? And so, uh, anyway, don't quench the spirit, right? Praise God. Well, be blessed. Have a wonderful week, and you're just dismissed.